Are you downsizing? Maybe need more room because of additions to the family, or possibly seeking that dream home you've always wanted. Well, Tim Eisner at Royal LePage Atlantic is the guy for you. With a proven track record and multiple awards, Tim goes above and beyond to find out your needs and exactly what you're looking for. So if you're seeking a new home or trying to sell your current one, contact Tim at 902-499-5717 or check him out on Facebook at Tim Eisner. Again, that's 902-499-5717. Trust me, when all is said and done, we'll be saying Tim Eisner strikes again. Hey, happy new year, everyone. Hope y'all had a fantastic holidays. Welcome to episode 78 of Outside the Shoot. I'm your host, Randy Frame. Well, we're back at it for 2022. I'm really looking forward to what's in store for the year. Uh, I know January is looking good for guests we have booked to come on. So uh, if, if that's any indication on how it's going to go, then I am pumped. If there's anyone you want us to talk to down the line, let us know on social media. You know, we're on all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Of course, our handle is at Outside the Shoot. Uh, while you're on there, may as well give us a follow. Uh, we have other softball content content on there as well, uh, besides our weekly episodes, especially on Twitter, where there's always a Did You Know or, or the OTC Player of the Week. Speaking of the OTC Player of the Week, this week's comes to us from Alabama as Addison Russell takes home the weekly honors. Addie went 11 for 13 for a 846 average with 10 RBIs in six games, while also striking out 16 batters in eight innings on the mound this past weekend at the Softball Youth Elite New Year's Eve tournament in Panama City, Florida. Awesome job, Addison. Those are some impressive numbers. On to this week's guest, and we sat down and chatted with University of Georgia alum and current assistant coach at Hofstra University, Kristen Sandberg. Kristen has had a fantastic career as she spent her undergraduate career at the University of Georgia and was named a second-team NFCA All-American after garnering first-team All-Region honors. She played a key role in leading the Bulldogs to the Women's College World Series in 2009 and 2010 while earning SEC All-Freshman Team honors in 2009 and first-team All-SEC recognition in 2012. She would go on to be drafted fifth overall in the 2012 MPF draft by the USSSA Pride where she become a two-time MPF champion. Kristen appeared in over 300 games in the MPF and was a consistent threat throughout her career as she recorded over 45 home runs and tallied 150 RBIs. For her efforts, Kristen collected several awards from the league, including MPF Mike and Rookie of the Year accolades in 2012, All-MPF honors in 2015 and 2018, was a Rawlings Gold Glove finalist in 2017, and also earned an MPF All-Decade Team distinction. She now finds herself in the coaching ranks where, with stops in LSU, Syracuse, and now with Hofstra. We're going to talk to Kristen about getting her start in the game, her decision to attend Georgia, her time in the MPF, her love for the New York Islanders, and much, much more. Kristen was an absolute pleasure to chat with. Hofstra definitely has a good one on their hands. So as usual, grab that drink, sit back, relax, because here we go. I've got the world in my palm, lights, camera, action, it's on. What I'm feeling Ain't never felt this freedom I got the world in my palm Like camera action and song Ain't never felt this freedom Could you, could you say that anything goes
right, here we go. Kristen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited about it. How are things going down in Island Park today? They're good. I think we've got a little bit of snow coming through here, uh, but not much accumulating. Finally got some cold weather. So I think we've been teased with the warm for a little bit, but I think winter has uh, finally arrived. Yeah, I know. It's been it's been like that up here in Nova Scotia as well. I mean, we've been we have no snow on the ground right now, which is for the first of December or January is absolutely mind boggling. So, and it's, it's funny out in the West coast and like Vancouver that they have snow, which it's, it's like a complete turnaround, like <laughs> that we're, we're used to out here. So, you know, I, I'm kind of hoping we get a little bit of snow anyway. I mean, kind of makes the, makes, you know, especially with the hockey season, makes it feel like hockey season. <laughs> yeah. No, no kidding. And, uh, I don't know. I, I might be the weird one, but sometimes going out and shoveling a little bit of snow is a little bit, uh, therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, take the dog outside and just uh, have a good time. Yeah, for sure. So how was uh how was Christmas New Year's? All good? It was really good. Uh got to spend some time with my cousins, my aunt and uncle. Um fortunately, my aunt and uncle from Georgia did not make it up, but um you know, for who was here, uh we had a good time and ate lots of food. I think I have a sugar hangover from all the uh, desserts, but all is good. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I saw a picture of uh, you and Oakley in matching hoodies. Yes. That was, uh, that was quite the gift. I think, I think she felt a little bit of shame when I put it on her. But, oh yeah. Does Oak, Oakley runs a household, right? Oh, totally. Oh, She's yeah. the queen. She's yeah. the queen around here. Uh, that's awesome. That's all. actually, I saw that picture this morning. I come across it. I was like, I had a good laugh over it. I mean, yeah, Oakley didn't look overly overly enthused to be wearing it, but uh, it was cute. Yeah, no, we've got. Uh, I've done some Christmas cards in matching pajamas. This year, we had a matching bandana to pajamas because I know she doesn't really like to do the whole clothes thing. So. <laughs> I uh, didn't make her get dressed up, but the the hoodies was a nice little surprise. And like you said, it was a little bit of a good laugh too. Nice. What breed is she? She's a chocolate lab retriever. Oh, nice. Nice. All right. We, uh, we have a little thing that we like to start the podcast out with called quick pitches. I'm going to throw some uh, questions out to you. They're random. So uh, you answer them as best you can. All right. All right. First one. Best thing about living on Long Island. Beach. Beach. Huh. Good beaches there, what? The beaches and bagels. I mean, I can probably be uh, a self-proclaimed bagel snob uh, when I get them anywhere <laughs> outside of Long Island. They're just not the same, you know? So uh, I like my beaches and my bagels here on Long Island, and I, I can't say that anything really compares to them for me. Right on, right on. Uh, toughest pitcher you've ever faced? The toughest pitcher I've ever faced by far is uh, Monica Abbott. I think if you go back to my rookie year in the MPF, if I faced her 15 times, I probably struck out 13 of them. Um, and then going forward, I was able to make some adjustments. But you're still talking about one of the best pitchers in the world to this day who just has you know incredible speed, mm -hmm. um, has an ability to locate the ball where she wants it to go. And she's just uh, one of the you know biggest competitors that I think I've ever faced. Yeah, right on that one. Jeez, but didn't you go three for three offer in the 2013 MPF final? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes you work hard enough and yeah. you get some good luck, you know. Yeah. And then other times, 
you know, you're going to fail, but it's all about how you bounce back. And, you know, I guess that year I did it when it mattered most. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, who's your favorite New York Islander ever? Ooh, uh, when I was younger, I had a really, you know, big, um, I guess I'll say love affair with Rick DiPietro. I thought that he was a stellar goaltender. Uh, you know, he was on the U.S. team. Unfortunately, he was somebody who had his career taken from him through injuries. But I think if I had to, if I had to pick one all time, that would probably be my most favorite. Okay. Well, actually, I'm jumping. I'm jumping another question ahead of the other because I had Di Pietro on here. <laughs> okay. How upset are Islander fans that you're still paying Rick Di Pietro? Oh, I don't, I'm that I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like the Bobby Bonilla deal, right? Like yeah, you're just yeah. pulling out money every, you know, on one day every year and these guys get paid and then they, you know, they, they get paid to do nothing, I guess. Um, you know, but you got to give credit to their agents and them being able to finagle a, a deal like that where they still get to see, you know, the money they signed for. Yeah. Well, that was, a, that was a Charles Wang era. Like yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he signed some crazy deals back then. You know what? Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to get the players you want. Yeah. You know, they don't always make sense to the general public, but you know, I got a guy like Lou Lamarello now who can wheel and deal and figure out the salary cap and yeah. No nonsense, Lou. Nope. No nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next one. Most memorable moment from your playing days. Most memorable moment. Uh, I think we're going to have to go back to that championship series in the MPF. Those that three for three game when I uh, was able to put that ball over the fence, kind of give us a little bit of a cushion there. Um, you know, that was probably that that was the first championship I'd ever won at, you know, the professional college level, what have you. I've always kind of been on the losing end when I was in those games. So to be able to have that moment to hit it off one of the greatest pitchers um, in that environment. I mean, Chicago was loud and rowdy that year. Uh, they are true fans through and through to their bandits. And, you know, you talk about the, the bandit pride rivalry. I mean, that was at its peak finest. And, you know, I just think about my playing days and that certainly a day that stands out to me. Awesome. Uh, if you had to live off one food for a week, what is it? I could, I could go back to bagels. I could have a bagel <laughs> breakfast, lunch, dinner, honestly. Really? Do I get to change what I put on the bagel or does it have to be the same thing? Yeah. It, I guess you can, you can switch her up if, if you're going with bagels. <laughs> All right. So we go like bagel with cream cheese, bagel with egg salad, uh, bacon, egg and cheese on a bagel. Yeah. Wow. I could go forever with that. Okay. Well, overload, but <laughs> I guess it would be, <laughs> uh, if you could go back and replay one game from your career, which is it? I would love to go back and play Washington in 2009 for that second game of elimination in the world series. Gotcha. Yeah. I think that we, we had a really good team that year. And I think that we were just in a position where we were maybe a little bit tired from our um, marathon of a game earlier in the day, had to go extra innings. We're out there early in the heat. You know, if we could have had that game on a different day, I think we might've had a different outcome. You know, but you got to give credit where credit's due. And Danielle Laurie is a phenomenal pitcher in her own right. And she was on a mission for Washington that year. And, you know, to go out and be knocked out by the eventual national championship, uh, national champions, it's, you know, not a bad way to say you lost. But I, I think if we played that game, maybe the next day, uh, you might have saw a different outcome. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Last one. Uh, as a big time Islanders fan, what's your favorite moment? Well, Villiers in the Coliseum game six against the lightning. Um, I had tickets. I was there. The, my watch kept telling me that the decibel level in there was, um, I don't know, whatever it says, it's dangerous for your ears or something. Uh, it was just an incredible environment in a building that I had so much memories in growing up as a kid, going to games with my parents. Uh, we had, we had tickets, uh, one of those like eight game packs. We used to go and sit there and watch games. And that's just where I fell in love with the game of hockey and, uh, to be in there and be in that environment in a, you know, Stanley cup playoff game. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing like it. No, oh, no. I mean, I find Nassau was like so intimidating, you know, for other teams to go into, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm a, I'm a Penguins fan. So in 2019, when you guys swept us in the, in the first round there, and I think you guys were at Barclay most of the, most of the season, were you not? Yeah. The Barclay thing yeah. was, uh, try to, it was like a, slap a bandaid on a problem. Type yeah. Deal. Yeah, exactly. And then, but for playoffs, you, you switch to, to the Coliseum and I can remember saying, Oh no, this is not good. <laughs> yeah. Cause like yeah. the Islanders were a totally different team at the Coliseum compared to Barclay. Oh, 100%. And I think just the, the building itself, when you look at Barclays, I mean, I was at a playoff game there, I think when they played the hurricanes and you know, it was loud, but it, it wasn't the same as being in the Coliseum where you're in that like tight environment, the the ceiling's low and everything's just like echoing off the top. I mean, it, you know, you mm. get to a point where you, you can't even think you're just, you're just loving life in there. Yeah. Well, I, I can only imagine what it was like in there when, when Bobby Nystrom scored that OT winner in 1980. Like, I mean, you see video of it against Philadelphia and it's like the, the roof blew off the place. So yeah, like, I, there are, there are some people I know that were at games like that and they were at the most recent run and they, they are willing to argue that this round was louder, better, stronger than that eighties run. But I, I obviously cannot speak to that. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to, you know, live in my, yeah. live in my little world here of my lightning penguin playoff that I just, had the opportunity to do last year. Right on. So how's the new one, the UBS? I know you've been there a couple of times. Uh, you know, it's, it's got all your fancy bells and whistles. I think that everyone wanted, uh, you know, it's big, it's open. They said they tried to build it just like the Coliseum. I don't, I don't think it is personally. I, I think that, uh, it's a little big and wide open mm. for it to be like the Coliseum. But, uh, I was in there for an Islander Ranger game and it was, you know, on the losing end of it, but it was still, uh, you know, typical Ranger fans ending up in the calls in the Islanders home rank at UBS. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's got good, good food, good views again, you know, nice giant jumbo jumbotron in the middle. Uh, sometimes I think it's a little too big. If you're sitting down low, it's kind of like sitting in the front row of a movie theater, but you know, all in all, I think they did a, a pretty nice job, but I think the unpopular opinion for me is I'd rather be in the Coliseum. Right on. Yeah. That, a lot of, I think a lot of the fans would argue with me that they, they like UBS and they want to be there, but to me, uh, there's no place like home. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Now you got to see, uh, you saw McDavid play a couple of days ago, didn't you? I did. How was he live? It's pretty cool. Hmm. Um, you know, the way the Islanders defended him, they kind of took him out of the game a little bit. So, uh, you know, they equalized it. And fortunately 
they were able to get that OT win. Yeah, nice shot by Noah Dobson. He's uh, yeah. he's actually from Atlanta Canton up here, so uh, right right off the bench, picked it up. Yeah, yeah, that was a uh, it, it was that, that's two wins in a row there, isn't it? It is yeah. Buffalo and Buffalo and uh, the Oilers. There they go. They're they're starting to come come alive at UBS now. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get into your career. Uh, tell us uh, how you got your start in the game. Well, I just you know grew up. My parents uh, put me in little league here, and I played baseball through probably about the time of being 12, 13 years old. Uh, you know, whenever you hit middle school and you get to start playing sports in school, I switched over to play softball at that time. You know, you had to, for me, if I wanted to continue to play baseball, I had to go through all these different like physical athletic tests just to be able to play. And, you know, my family and I just kind of sat down and figured out that it was probably about time to switch over if I wanted to do anything and take this, you know, as far as I did. And, uh, you know, I continued to play a little bit of local travel around Long Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 14 and under team, our coach, he decided to move back upstate. His daughter had had a kid and he wanted to be closer to her and, you know, be able to be grandma and grandpa with his wife. So when that team split, I joined a more national level team. Uh, we did a lot of traveling, Texas, California, Arizona, you know, we did, we did the whole West coast trip. We went down South. Um, you know, and I got my look from Georgia actually while I was in Huntington beach in the fall for one of those like pre Thanksgiving okay, yeah. tournaments. Yep. And, you know, I came home and I, I got a handwritten letter actually from Georgia, which was kind of cool. It was different. You know, you go out to these tournaments and you come back and this was before they started just emailing them to you, you, you sat and you waited for the the mail to come and you check the letters that came and they would often just have a questionnaire asking you to fill it out and send it back. And Georgia was one of the ones that was a little bit different, uh, with the handwritten letter, like I mentioned. And, you know, I had the opportunity to take a visit down there and I, I actually have, like I mentioned earlier, my aunt and uncle, they live about an hour and a half from Athens and, you know, everything just kind of felt right when I got down there and, at the time, I think they were a top 25, 30 program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what better way to just move to the next level than to just jump right into it. And, you know, when you're being told that you have an opportunity to compete for a starting spot as a freshman and you're getting X dollars in scholarship and you've got this stadium with this newly built indoor, which at the time I think was like the newest of all of the SEC schools, right. uh, you know, so you, you, you get that relationship, you, you're able to develop a relationship with the coaches. Cause at the time it was not like it was recently where they're doing it super early. You actually got to talk to them and, and develop a relationship, get to know them. And like I said, it, it just, it felt right. And when the time came, I signed my papers and became a Georgia bulldog. Right. Um, was it was like, obviously was Georgia an easy decision or were, were there other colleges in the running then? There were other colleges I would say that were in the running. I, the travel team that I was playing for at the time, when we would go to tournaments, we would go a day early because the team was from all over the place. So we would practice at the closest college. So I remember practicing like at Stanford, at UNLV, at UNC. And when we were there, we got to interact with the coaches, talk to them. They watched practice, things like that. Um, 
so I had had the opportunity to be on other campuses, but when I went down for that visit at Georgia, you know, it was different. Uh, it was one of the first ones that I had gone on alone without my team. It was just my, my parents and I, but, um, I know my dad really, my dad really wanted me to go to Stanford, get a business degree, come home, work on wall street, make life easy. But I, uh, my SAT scores couldn't quite cut what Stanford was looking for. So I was like, you know what? I have this really great opportunity in front of me. And I think I'm just going to take this instead of going to take another test and trying to get another 200 points. And, you know, it turned out to be probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Right on, right on. Uh, actually, I want to go back a little bit. You said you, uh, you, you played baseball up till you were 12 or 13. Yeah. How, how, was, uh, how was that adjustment, you know, going from, from baseball to, to softball? It was, it was difficult. I had a hard time picking up the underhand pitching for a while. Right. I just wanted to bunt because I felt like it was the easier thing to do to make contact and to get on base. And, you know, my dad and the other coach are looking at me questioning, like, what are you doing? Why do you keep bunting? And I'm like, well, cause I'm, I'm having a hard time hitting the ball. It's, it's different. And it took an adjustment period, but over time, you know, you start to get used to the motion, the release, seeing the ball a little bit better. And, you know, it became more of a, a swinging hit for power game for me than to try and drop a bunt and beat it out. Right on. Yeah. So what was it about Georgia, you know, that ultimately led to your decision to go there? Was it, you know, the coaching? Was it uh, you know, your visit? Yeah. I mean, uh, talking with Coach Harris the entire time that I was on campus and through texting and, and phone calls, um, she just gave me this sense that she was somebody who was going to help me get to the next level in my game. She is probably one of the most intelligent coaches that I've ever had the opportunity to play for to I'll say watch work because I swear to you, sometimes I think she slept in our, in our locker room, in our video room, just trying to get prepared for our next opponent. We'd walk in, you know, I'd walk in super early for treatment to get ready before the game, a little bit before the rest of the team got there. And she's already in there, probably two coffees deep, all of her notes laid out in front of her and, you know, you, you look at somebody like that and you see how knowledgeable they are. You see that what they've been able to do, you know, with the program while they've been there, they had the two sec championships in, uh, three and five. So, you know, I was walking into a, a competitive program with somebody I trusted with somebody I looked at to be kind of like my mom away from home, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. even though, you know, she's still coach, but off the field, she was always there for us with whatever we needed. Um, you know, I just, that and, and the facilities there were top notch, you know, like I said, they were some of the newest facilities in the sec at the time. And being in that stadium and looking at how high it went, you know, you knew the crowd was going to be in it. They were going to be on top of you. They were going to be intimidating. And, um, it was just something that again, felt right. You know, when I'm, when I'm talking to recruits, you know, my advice to them all the time is like, you'll know. And I I knew, like I, I knew, and, you know, she was the only carryover of her and, and Greeny at the time. Um, they had gotten a new assistant, Jerry Glasgow, my freshman year. And he is another person that is just incredibly intelligent when it comes to hitting and is willing to put in the time and effort to, 
help you get better and help you be the best that you can be. So, you know, all in all, it was just, you know, a decision that felt right. And I felt like I was with the right people. Right on. What was campus life like? It was, um, you know, I didn't know what to expect really, because I, I, uh, hadn't been to a lot of colleges, but I obviously knew Georgia was a very large campus compared to some of the other ones that I had been on. And it was, uh, definitely interesting when they're telling you, you know, make sure when you schedule classes, you don't schedule on North and South because you only have 10 or 15 minutes to get between classes. So you better make sure that if you do that, you're hustling and you're like thinking about this as an 18 year old, like, what are you, what are you talking about? How, wait, what? I have to, if I schedule them on two sides of campuses, I'm not going to make it on time. Um, you know, so you, you get on the bus system and like everybody's trying to get on the one orbit bus that gets you to pretty much every spot on campus. You know, you're, you're crammed in there like sardines at times. Um, Saturdays were like the most electric environment for football that I've ever, I've ever been in. I was going to ask about that. What the football, you know, atmosphere it was, was like. you know, like we had our student section and we always made sure that somebody was there early enough to get us front row seats in the end zone. And we were right there on top of the action in it. You know, it, it, when you're a college athlete and you're out there supporting your peers, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, uh, volleyball, what have you, you know, it's, it's a different environment and you truly want the best for the people that you're sitting in class with, that you're sitting in tutors with, um, that you, you know, maybe dorm with, you know, there are people that don't always dorm with the same people on their team and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that they're branching out and they're meeting new people and, you know, to have friends on the golf team or whatever, like it, it just broadens your broadens you a little bit, lets you see a little different culture, how different people train, what they, you know, get to pick their brains. And it was, uh, definitely different from anything that I was used to here on Long Island. But again, different is not always bad. Uh, I think it was a huge learning experience for me with different cultures. Um, but just, just being in it with the other student athletes was, uh, you know, something I'll probably never forget. Right on. That would be awesome. You know, just to, just to experience a, a college football game. Cause I mean, you know, being up, being from up here in Canada, we see it on TV and you know, you get to see what the atmosphere looks like on TV. I can only imagine what it's like live. Oh yeah. I mean, they're coming in Thursday night with their, with their uh, RVs and they're setting up and they're, you know, barbecuing mm-hmm. and they got TVs and, I'm looking at it like what, you know, I <laughs> met games. I've been, you know, I went to a Yankee game here and there when I was a kid, but I, I had never like tailgating, like, what is this? Yeah. You know, this is like insane. But, uh, you know, it was, it, it was, it was cool, you know, to see the support that the local community had for the student athletes, for the, for the university and for Georgia to, to have those many people come out two days early before the game even started. I mean, that's incredible. Oh yeah, for sure. That would be awesome. Um, can you remember what, uh, you know, your, your freshman season, can you mem- remember any, uh, you know, big adjustments that you had to make, you know, going up that level? Huh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, this, this is a little funny story, but our, our first weekend that we went out to play in February, went to Palm Springs and I remember being like, Ofer until my very last at bat on the weekend. And I, 
I finally got a hit. I think I was like one for 10 on the weekend and we're sitting on the plane going home. And I, I think I'm sitting with Elisa Goler and, and Ashley Polly and coach Harris is sitting behind me, but we're on a Delta flight and you know, Delta's got that in-flight trivia. So we're sitting there and I'm like, man, I don't know what's worse right now. My trivia score or my batting average. And I didn't realize how loud I said it at the time, you know, and, and Goler and Asher, they, they nudged me like, what are you doing? What are you saying? Like, Shh. you know, and I look behind me and she's kind of laughing, but there was a point where I looked on the scoreboard probably a month into the season and my batting average was 0.086. Ooh. And I'm thinking to myself, like, did I, did I make the right decision? Am I where I'm supposed to be? You know, I, why am I still playing? And the fact that you can continue to put somebody in a lineup, even, you know, a month into the season, mm-hmm. who's hitting 086, I think that's, that's tells you how much confidence that somebody else has in you. And you've got to, you've got to trust that. And you've got to start to believe in yourself. If somebody else is believing in you that much, when you are, you know, that far out of it compared to, you know, where some of your other teammates are at. I think at one point I had gone from batting like five or six in the lineup down to eight or nine, just to, you know, of course, take the pressure off, see better pitches. And I think, uh, as I got comfortable with that college environment, you know, it's a huge jump to go from playing travel ball here on long Island and and high school ball to playing at a division one, top 25 program. Oh, absolutely. I was here in high school swinging my dad's slow pitch bat, which was like a 20, uh, 34, uh, 26 <laughs> or something like, like 28. I yeah. think it was his like end loaded, his end loaded slow pitch bat. And, you know, then you're going into college and you're, you're playing Oklahoma state, you're playing, you know, Alabama, Oklahoma, UCLA, whoever, Michigan, whoever it was that we were playing that, that preseason that I don't, that I don't remember a hundred percent, but I do remember being one for 10 and at some point looking at the scoreboard late in, in February and seeing 0.086 and just thinking like, I got to work. And I got to a point where I, I trusted what the coaches were doing with me, that it was in my best interest, uh, learning to hit to all fields and not just being straight up pull hitter, Mm -hmm. you know, understanding that that is my strength, but you know, I could be so much better if I learned to use the right side of the field. And, you know, thankfully things, you know, at that point, there's only one place to go is up yeah. I and mean, it's got to go down from there, but just really, you know, the cliche of, of trusting the process, you know, not everything is going to come to you right away. You're going to fail before you succeed and that's okay. Yeah. You know, you just have to, you have to keep your head in the right spot and keep, keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and going to work every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. That you go to back-to-back women's college world series in your, in your first two seasons. Um, describe just how different that atmosphere is for someone who hasn't experienced it before. Huh. Well, the world series today is much, much bigger than it was back in 09 and 2010. But mm. I remember being there and being in, playing in front of 9,000 something people at the time. And I'm thinking like, this is amazing. Like I'm, I'm in like a, I felt like I was in a major league baseball stadium at the time. You got all these people from the community, from the the universities that have made it. I mean, it's, it's loud. Somebody hits a home run and like the whole stadium erupts, somebody gets hurt and the, the stadium's dead silent. Like mm. it's just an unbelievable atmosphere. And then, uh, you know, you're 
I think in 2010 play in Michigan, we had set a record for like the most home runs hit in a game or, or something like that. I, and it was the largest crowd too. in an elimination game, um, you know, I know I, we, we'd set some records while we were there, but to, to be in that environment and playing in front of those crowds, I can only imagine what it's like now with that second deck and oh, it, all the additional seating that they've put in, in the last year or so. I know that, that environment's probably got to be much louder and, you know, much more, uh, energetic than it was even then in 2009 and 2010. But, um, you know, again, probably being there's top five moment in my career. Right on. Yeah. Just seeing the spectacle of it this year, you know, like you said, adding the, those, those upper decks there. I mean, man, it, it just comes across as, you know, big time feel, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mm. mean, you're, you're playing in college stadiums that hold three, four, 5,000 people, maybe. Um, then you get there and you got 10, 12, 13, 14,000 people. I mean, you're playing double of what you've played all season and it, it can be intimidating. You know, you walk out there to home plate and you've got this massive seating structure behind you, but mm. you got however many cameras that they got out, literally a camera on your every move. But, uh, you know, eventually I think you settle into what it is and you, you just go back to playing ball and try and try and do what it is that got you there. And hopefully you're the the last team standing at the end. Yep, for sure. So you'd have a fantastic four years at Georgia. Um, what are some of the great memories you, you have from there, whether, you know, it's on or off the field? Well, I think it's just the opportunity you have to be with your teammates. Um, I don't remember a lot of games, scores, outcomes, but I, I do remember a lot of the times that I had with teammates on and off the field that made us happy, made us sad, bonded us. Um, I've been to two weddings now in the last couple of weeks with former teammates. And, you know, we've found ourselves sitting there just telling stories back and forth. Oh, do you remember when coach did this? Or do you remember when coach did that? Or this person, you know, and it's, it's really about the, the bonds that you form with those people, with coaches. You know, I, I still talk to coach Harris to this day. I will reach out to her if I, I need help or uh, need some advice. She actually will text some of us and just say, Hey, how's it going? Um, you know, it's, it's the, it's that family like environment, I guess that you, you develop and you, those are the memories that you have more than sometimes what actually happens on the field. Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, like being up from up here in Canada, I mean, I played hockey at a, at a, at a higher level and, you know, you get, you get on those teams with, you know, guys you're you're with every single day for two or three years and i mean you have no choice but to become family you know what i mean for sure yeah. for sure yeah. and you know it's it's not a four-year bond it's a lifelong bond yeah absolutely absolutely now you'd end up getting drafted fifth overall by the U-Triple-S-A pride uh how awesome was that feeling you know especially knowing you get to continue on playing the game at the professional level yeah, it was certainly a very nice honor. And I I can't say that I knew it was going to happen, but I had a hunch. I had had a conversation with uh, Jerry Glasgow probably once we got back from Palm Springs that year. And he asked me if I was interested in, in playing in the NPF. And I said, I mean, I'm interested. I'm not going to, you know, 
beg and plead to be in it. But if somebody feels that I'm good enough to play at that level and they want to draft me, I'm not going to say no to it. And, uh, that is probably a night that, that does stand out to me in terms of, you know, who we were playing and where, and Mm. remember, uh, it being like a Wednesday night and we were playing Gardner Webb and the draft was going on while we were playing, you know, and nowadays it's done on a day where nobody's playing. So the teams can watch it and the players can see themselves get drafted right. and it's on a screen and all that, you know, all that nice stuff. But somehow one of my teammates had found out and I was walking back in from catching a bullpen uh, pregame and somebody, somebody said something about it. And I, I just was like, Oh, you know, like I had this look on my face and I, and I know I was excited, but I also was like getting ready to run out onto the field to get, you know, for first pitch. So it was one of those things where it was like hard to really Grass. soak in the yeah, yeah. and, uh, enjoy it for what it is. But it was certainly a, a very cool experience. I got to talk about it obviously after the game with, uh, our, our radio guy and our SID and, you know, to finally sit down and, be able to embrace that moment and talk about what it really meant. Um, you know, to be able to be drafted, especially to the pride at that time, when you're talking about more than half the Olympic team on that cat Osterman, Kelly Crutchman, Andrea Duran, you had, uh, Danielle, Lori and Jen Salling who are both Canadian Olympians. You know, um, uh, you talk about the amount of knowledge that's on that bench. It's just incredible. And it was, probably one of the biggest learning experiences for me. Mm. Uh, it's the first time in my career, obviously that I didn't just walk into something and be a starter. I started out that year as like a pinch hitter. And I think at some point I was like seven for seven in my pinch hitting opportunities. And it was like, Hey, <laughs> uh, you're, you're going to be the DH today. And I was like, okay, you know, like I'm just, all right. And I ended up taking it and running with it and had a really good rookie season. And I think part of that goes back to how good of a coach coach Harris is and, and Jerry and how prepared they made all of us for that level. I think if you go back and you look at any of the Georgia players that made it to the MPF, I think you'll probably see that a lot of them have really good rookie seasons, which mm-hmm. is not typically common. You know, a lot of people go into the MPF the first year and they struggle, but, uh, Fortunately, I was able to have a lot of success and, and meet a lot of really talented people, learn from them, you know, learn what it really meant to be a professional, how to carry yourself, uh, do's and don'ts. And, uh, you know, I, I think being in that on that team with those people is probably why I was able to continue to play for so long. Um, they they definitely pushed me. They elevated me to another level. And, you know, I'm fortunate just to be able to say that I've played with, you know, a couple, couple Olympians be coached by, uh, Olympians and, you know, they're just, um, they're all good people. And I would still consider a lot of them really good friends today. Right on. Like uh, you said, a lot of people have a big adjustment, you know, jumping into, to the MPF. I mean, but like you said, you ended up being rookie of the year. You hit 355, led the league in RBIs. Ugh. Was there something that clicked for you? Clicked for you, or was it like like you said, being surrounded by so many good players that you know that could only help? 
I think it's a mixture of that. And I, and I think I was having fun. You know, I came off a year at Georgia where I was an all American and I had a really good year there and it was just seemed like everything just carried over smoothly. Um, I didn't never felt like I was too stressed or I was in too deep, you know, that my teammates made it really easy for me to be there to compete and, and play every, you know, every night of the week. It's not like college where you're playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you go home, mm. you know, you play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, maybe a Monday, Tuesday in there, you know, you're traveling, you're on a plane, you're on a bus. Um, I, I just, I, I felt like I was having the time of my life that year and everything was just, I, I did go into a rut a little bit and I joked with, uh, the coach at the time, Beth Serena, I think I was stressing and she's like, what are you, you're still hitting 350. Like, so what, you're not hitting 400 anymore. You're hitting like 320 or something like that. And I was like, I, I know, but I just feel like I haven't done anything in the last like four or five games. She's like, am I, you know, are you still in the lineup? You know? And I'm like, yeah, I am, I guess. I guess you're right. Like, like, just relax, you know? And, um, like I said, I just, I just think I was having a really good time. It was fun. I was in a good environment. I had good people around me mm -hmm. and, you know, things were, things just carried over. Right on. How cool was it to win back-to-back -back championships? It was very cool. Like I said, the the first one was the first championship that I had really ever won at probably, um, any level. And, uh, you know, to do it twice at that level with those people, it, it's just, uh, you know, again, I'd rank those in the top five of things I've done because of who I was with and, you know, not necessarily what I did, but what we did together. Yeah. Is the old cliche true about repeating is always the toughest? I mean, it's hard. You know, the pride always had kind of a target on their back. They were looked at as, you know, the elite team in the league. And, you know, everyone wanted to beat the pride. Even when I, you know, got traded and I was playing against them, you know, that was our goal is beat the pride. Who cares? You know, you might lose to Akron, but we got the pride coming in. Like, let's, let's amp our game up and, let's try and take one or two of them two two wins from them. So it, yeah, I mean, going back to backs hard, you look at it, it, there's not that many teams in the league, you know, but you look at Chicago and Akron, they, they always had really solid teams that competed. And when it came to playoffs, it was, it didn't matter what you did in, in regular season because playoffs is a whole nother animal. Mm. So yeah, that was a, uh, I mean, it was tough, but we, we pulled it out and, you know, got two of them, right two on. rings. Right on. So, I mean, before we get into your, to your coaching here, I, I want to finish off on the MPF here. Uh, you, you'd appear in over 300 games, playing four different teams. Uh, what you be, you were named to the MPF all decade team. That must've been a, you know, a pretty special honor for you. Oh, for sure. When I, when I saw that come out and my name was even on that list, I was, you know, in a little bit of shock just knowing who some of the other catchers were that played during my time in a really talented group. You got Lauren Lappin, Megan Willis, um, Sam Martyr was very good. Um, trying to think of some of the other ones, you know, Rachel Folden was great, mm -hmm. you know, so to kind of be listed with those people and know how talented they were. I mean, I think Sam Martyr, she wasn't the home run champion player of the year. I think she was a home run champion at one point. Um, it's just an honor to know that people look at you and, 
they felt the, you know, the way you played the game was the right way that you played hard, that you were successful and, you know, that you just you know, were, were a good teammate, I guess. Um, you know, those things are largely, sometimes you get voted on those based on, on numbers alone, but you know, for that one to be a fan vote as well. Right. Uh, you know, when I got announced as the winner, it was a, it was a pretty cool feeling and, um, you know, something that honestly, I, you know, have a high, high spot for. Absolutely. That's because I mean, <laughs> that list reads like the who's who, I mean, Monica cat, Natasha Watley, Mandy Chister. I mean, you go through that entire list. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty impressive list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, everybody, everybody that got listed at a position pitcher first, second, all of them really, really great players. Mm -hmm. So, you know, honestly, I, I, if I got to pick a team out of the four or five people that were listed at each position, I, I don't think you can make a bad decision. No, absolutely not. No. So true. Um, let's jump into the coaching side of things. Uh, how did that all begin for you? Well, when I was playing with the pride, uh, under Beth Tarina, she had kind of asked me what my plans were after graduation from Georgia. And I was unsure. And she had kind of offered me a position as a grad assistant at LSU. And my initial kind of, I was going to graduate. I was going to come back to New York. I was going to become a gym teacher and just settle into life. Mm -hmm. And I had that opportunity to be a grad assistant there for three seasons and something just, you know, about that experience made me want to go into college coaching. Um, I think the way obviously I was coached the way I watched uh, Beth and Lindsay and Howard coach, they're all some of the, the greatest people that I've ever met, some of the greatest coaches I've ever met. And they do things very differently and kind of seeing the inner workings, the day to day, the practice planning, the, the game strategy stuff. Uh, it, it interested me a lot. And I, once I got my master's, I was, uh, you know, looking for a place where I could start and become, hopefully become somebody, somebody like them. You know, I, I try to every day be a little bit better, learn something new, just, you know, work to figure out how I can make my athletes the best players that they can be. Right on. Yeah. I, I could ask about the, uh, the 2015 run to women's college world series with LSU. Um, how different was it to be on the other side of things, you know, in that run where, you know, you, you don't have a, I guess you can't grab a bat and go out there and, and, you know, hit a home run. What was it like for you being on that side? Oh, it's definitely an adjustment period from, you know, when you're playing to coaching, even when I was playing during the summers and coaching at Syracuse, you know, you mm. make that transition from August to September and you're playing your fall games and your team's struggling a little bit. Yeah, of course you want to go pick up the bat and you want to just, Hey, here's how it's done. Like it's not, you know, not that it's not hard, but relax a little bit and go have some fun with it and, and make, make life easy on yourself. But you know, it's, it's, uh, hard. Yes. But you know, you have to understand what your role is at that time. And your role is not to play just like when I was a player and I was thinking like a coach, you know, yeah. you have to, you got to change your mindset. You got to know what your role is at the time and be the best that you can be at your role. And so for me, that was, you know, doing various tasks for them and helping, helping that team. Uh, it still hurts to watch that ball go over the third baseline against Michigan, but yeah. <laughs> I bet, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. 
sometimes I, I think it was foul, but what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you have a million people say it was fair. A million people would say it was foul. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is what it is. Um, let's talk about your current job with Hofstra. Uh, a little closer to home, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, not many people I feel like can say that they have a job coaching at this level in a place that they grew up and, you know, as a kid, obviously I, I knew all the success that Hofstra had had the conference championships, the run in the postseason, regional, super regional and so forth. Uh, you know, and I, I look at where it was and I look at what we have to do now and I would love nothing more than to be a part of that team, be a part of that staff that kind of gets Hofstra back, back into the, you know, regional, super regional winning conference championships. Um, you know, but every day it's just, it's take things day to day. You work on, you know, where you see weaknesses and you try to build those, you try to continue to build on strengths and, you know, those, those things, championships, rings, postseason, a, a lot of that it's in your control, but it's not in your control. So you just, you go one day at a time and just look to improve and, you know, as long as you're improving, I think we're going to be on the right track to having success. Absolutely. I mean, you must be looking forward to, you know, throwing your experience at, you know, the likes of Megan Giordano and, and, or Devin Losco, you know, you know, and see how they take your advice and improve their game. Yeah. I mean, they're two really great players that we have and, you know, Devin, this is her last, this is her, I guess, super senior year. She's been around for a while. Um, she's definitely one of the leaders on our team, just as much as Megan is. Uh, I think we have a we have a really talented squad. Uh, a lot of them are very competitive. A lot of them are really just wanting to absorb all the knowledge that they can have mm-hmm. that they can get because they they want to be better. Like they want to be coached. They want to get to that next level. And honestly, I couldn't have asked to kind of inherit a better team with this coaching staff that we have because I think that they are destined to do great things. Awesome. So things are looking, you know, pretty promising for the upcoming season. I I, I really hope so. I mean, mm. we worked hard all, all fall and you saw the improvements and the adjustments that we made just from September to, you know, the end of our, our uh, fall season in October and then continued through, through individuals. You know, I, we tried to test them a little bit, made things a little bit hard and um, you know, a lot of them stepped up to the plate. No pun intended, no but pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended, but they stepped in late and they, they handled it, uh, you know, struggled at times, figured out, kind of had that aha moment and things started to click for them. So I'm hoping that when we get back, that we can just continue to build on all the work that we've put in and, uh, get ready for season. You know, we've got a really tough, tough schedule to start right out, right out the gate. But I think that we have a team that is competitive and and ready to take on that challenge awesome can't wait to can't wait to follow your guys's uh trek through the season uh little thing we end the podcast with here uh we call it player association i'm gonna throw out some uh some names to you and you can uh, say as much or as little about them as you want okay oh actually i, f- I forgot to boot something before we get on to that i got a little tidbit from hofstra that you yeah would, did you know tampa bay lightning's Head coach John Cooper graduated from there. I did not, but that is pretty cool. There you go. Fun fact. That is pretty cool. <laughs> so next time Tampa Bay's in town, you know, 
get a sign made, say, Hey, Hey John, I coach Hofstra. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pride. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, on to player association, uh, I'm going to throw the name to you and, uh, you can say as much or as little about them as we go. All right. So, uh, first one, Aaron Arevalo. Uh, great player roommate, really fun person. Uh, really grew a lot as a player in college and uh is having a really successful run at coaching herself right now um just all around great person to be around awesome uh you mentioned earlier uh elisa goler probably one of my best friends uh coming out of college she's hilarious um always keeps me on my toes keeps me honest uh another great coach um looking forward to seeing what she does western illinois and uh, just really excited for her there. Excellent. Uh, Sydney O'Hara. One of the only people I think I've ever seen hit four home runs in a game. Uh, <laughs> That's crazy. Just, <laughs> yeah. You know, that kid was willing to do anything that we asked her to do, whether it was pitch, play outfield, hit. Uh, she was up for the task. And I would say just all around team player. And, and I'm excited to see her chance and at, Syracuse and how she develops those pitchers up there. Right on. Uh, former guest of the show here, Cat uh, Osterman. She is probably my go-to for everything, whether it's softball, whether it's life. Um, was my roommate for a few years when I was playing with the Pride. Uh, love to compete against her, love to compete with her. Uh, I would say I probably, I like to hit off of her a little bit, even though my chances have to actually do that have been slim. Um, <laughs> however, you know, to be on the receiving end of a few no hitters, watch the way that ball moves. I mean, she truly is one of the greatest pitchers this game has probably ever seen and will continue to be, you know, the fact that she just came out of a couple years of retirement and hopped on the Olympic team. Like it was nothing. I mean, um, you know, it just goes to show you what her work ethic is and where she is at mentally and, you know, I just, uh, I'm thankful that she's somebody that I have in my back pocket. Absolutely. One of the best ever for sure. Uh, last but not least, you touched on her quite a bit. Uh, coach Harris. Uh, by far, probably the best coach I've ever played for. Um, I love her to death and I was shocked when I heard that she was retiring, but I totally understand her want and desire to be around her kids and watch them compete. You know, they're older now and you know, it's time for her to, to be mom, but she's probably the person most competitive person that I've ever been near. And a lot of that I think is rubbed off on me. And, you know, I try to emulate a lot of what I do from what she did because she was successful at it and she was really good at it being a, a coach and, and, a people person, uh, off the field. And so I'm just thankful that I had that opportunity with her and I, you know, hope she's, uh, probably playing pickleball somewhere. Hopefully if it's warm down in Georgia. So, you know, um, best wishes for her in retirement. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Well, Kristen, I gotta thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was, you know, awesome talking about your career and of course the islanders as a pens fan that kills me to say but uh, <laughs> but uh you know best of luck this upcoming season with hofstra as well we'll definitely be keeping tabs on you appreciate you having me on here all right Kristen. thanks thanks take care all right have a good one i read the rules before i broke them 
I broke the chains before they choked me out. Uh. Now I pay close attention, yeah. really learn the code. Uh-uh. I learned to read the map before bounce, I hit bounce. the road. I know you never heard this before yeah. But I'd rather lose a fight than miss the war And I ain't wishing competition or fishing for it I'm just living in a system, conditions are poor I've been lost in the rhythm and misinformed Too many late nights hitting the liquor store Too many bad decisions, half-ass attempts No sweat, no fear, no blood, no tears I go hard, and I ain't making up no excuse I'm overdue, I don't do what I'm supposed to do Cause if you think about it, man, we're supposed to lose It ain't all picture-perfect ocean views No, I was a first-class rookie Taking out bullies in my all-black hoodie Man, a mystery, you know the history Get it or forget it, cause poof, I'm out of here I read the rules before I broke them I broke the chains before they choked me out And I paid close attention, really learned the code I learned to read the map before I hit the road We say No one's gonna see me I've been high and I've been real low yeah. I've been beaten and broken but I healed though So many ups and downs, roughed up and clown We all got problems but we deal though I'm trying to do better now, find my inner peace Learn my art form and find my energy When my back's on the wall I don't freeze up Now I find my inner strength and I re-up Here we go, I know I've never been the smartest or wisest But I realize what it takes Never dwell in the dark cause the sun always rises But gotta make it to the next day It's a feeling that you get in your lungs when you run But you're running out of air and your breath won't Are you downsizing? Maybe need more room because of additions to the family, or possibly seeking that dream home you've always wanted? Well, Tim Eisner at Royal LePage Atlantic is the guy for you. With a proven track record and multiple awards, Tim goes above and beyond to find out your needs and exactly what you're looking for. So if you're seeking a new home or trying to sell your current one, contact Tim at 902-499-5717 or check him out on Facebook at Tim Eisner. Again, that's 902 902- 499-5717. Trust me, when all is said and done, we'll be saying Tim Eisner strikes again. <laughs> 